but man, okay, so this is honestly like I got home last night from DJing a wedding reception north of Pine City. I got home at 2.20 in the morning and there was just this thing about today when I woke up, honestly, like that I felt, God, you've got something special for us today and I just feel like, uh, man, I'm so glad that we have kids in worship as they engage with, with who God is. Man, I know that worship was different and, 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 and oftentimes, and, and honestly, we've never really had that sort of words spoken over our community like that happened this morning, but I want to reassure, if you're like, you're like, man, what was that? That was weird. Um, man, this is something that God does at times to encourage, to inspire the community of faith, the community of Christ, um, because as we saw in this clip, man, there are things that God needs to inspire us towards. Um, so we saw this clip, and I love this movie, and I love this clip, but I just love that, like, motivational, quick, doesn't need to be elaborate, but it just kind of needs to be a, a warning. And I love that the coach was like, if you let him gain another yard, I'm pulling every single one of you out. And I think that so often we can get so used to, and I can get so used to just waiting for God to just speak words of inspiration, which he does— But we can find ourselves so quickly just kind of sitting in this moment where all of a sudden when God gives us a warning, we can kind of dismiss it and be like, well, that's not what God does. God doesn't, God, why would God warn me about something? Well, he warns you because he loves you. And this morning as we are in part 10 of our series, The King's Speech. Now, I promise you, week 10, this has been the longest series we have ever done, but I want to let everybody know that you can put your tray tables up in their full and locked position because we are bringing this plane to a landing in two weeks. And so, but we, and, and where we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. And we are going to, look at specifically a warning that Jesus gives to those who are following after him. Now, last week we had a conversation in regards to the golden rule, and I'm going to end on time today, I believe it, and uh, golden rule, and the narrow road, and the narrow gate versus the wide road, and the wide gate, and if you weren't with us, what I want to do is I just want to give a quick review on verses 13 through 14, really quick, but uh, to lay some contextual groundwork for where I believe God wants to take us today, and what we're going to be diving into today. So here we go, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it's going to be up on the screen. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, and this is weird, I played that song at the reception last night, so it was very, like, very weird. Uh, So the highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And what Jesus is doing, what we talked about last week, is Jesus is inviting us onto the narrow road life. Jesus is inviting us to a life that, as we came to the conclusion of last week, is difficult, and that's why very few ever find it. And so often we want to experience the things of God and the things that God has for us on the wide road, but just like like we said last week, just like Jesus said, if you want what Jesus has, you have to be where Jesus is. And Jesus exists on the narrow road. And now we find Jesus giving those who are listening and giving us today a very relevant, very timely warning. 
And so when Jesus is speaking, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. It says this, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. I'm just going to pray really, really quick because I in no way want to preach this message today. Jesus, uh, I just asked like you did from the second service started that you would just have control over what's going to happen in the next few moments. God, I believe that you are warning us that you are going to continue to warn us and you are going to challenge us. Honestly, beyond where I'm comfortable going. But God, I trust you. Help me trust you with every moment that I speak. May it not be me speaking, but it may, may it be you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So when Jen and I first started dating, we would often take drives over long weekends, over long breaks from, from school, and we would often drive to, to Brainerd together. And, and I had never heard of Brainerd until I met Jen. Uh, I didn't know what Brainerd was. I didn't know where it, I, it could have been in another state, for all I know. And so we would get, and I remember the first time driving from Minneapolis from North Central University to Brainerd in Jen's Plymouth Sundance, I, I remember having this thought multiple times, we have to be getting close to Canada by now. And then I said that, and then I learned that there is a lot of distance between Brainerd and Canada. Uh, And it was just amazing. I had no idea Minnesota went that far. And it's amazing the things that I missed when Jen and I would drive together. We would be listening to music. We would be laughing. We would be having in-depth conversations about uh, super important things like what happened on the OC the week before. We would talk about uh, the frustrating things that our professors did in school. And it's amazing the things that you miss unintentionally. It's amazing the things that you miss unintentionally, like this sign. I had never seen that sign before. Until one weekend, I had to drive up by myself, and I remember seeing that sign and thinking out loud, you know, I don't think I've ever seen that sign. And all of a sudden, I looked at the road, and I had to slam on my brakes because there was an entire family of deer crossing the road. And all of a sudden, I found myself, once my car stopped, within a foot of a family of deer. It would have been a devastating massacre for this family of deer. Like, I would have killed Bambi, his mom, his dad. I would have killed all siblings and cousins. It would have been a disaster. And it's just one of those moments, like, after all of a sudden you, like, you you see what could have happened, but what didn't happen, you just kind of laugh. And you just kind of laugh hysterically. Is that just me? And all of a sudden, like, I break into, like, this hysterical howling laugh. And I swear, I swear to you, as the last deer was crossing the road, in his deer way, they gave me the finger. 
That deer gave me the finger. He gave me a hoof. It was just one solid hoof right on the hood of my car, but that's what I associated it with. And, and I was just laughing like a crazy person. I was howling by the time, like from that moment until I got to Jen's parents' house. But let me tell you this. Every time from now on, I turn left on Rebel Road. I am focused and I am engaged because I know those deer are out there. And I know they want to get me. Jesus, at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, is saying, after everything that I've talked to you about, everything that we've discussed, everything that I've laid out before you, what I need you to do now is I need you to be on guard and I need you to be focused because there are there are now and there will be those who are coming who will try and use what I've started, what's beginning right now, and they're going to try and use it for their own gain or lead you off the narrow road and on back onto the ro- wide road. So be focused and be on guard. And it's amazing. It's amazing how true and how relevant Jesus' words are for us today in 2017. Jesus says, beware. Like, that's an intense word. Beware. It's not just like, hey, every now and then, just make sure you look at, like, left. And Jesus is like, no, beware. Be on guard. Be attentive at all times. Beware of those who would pull you off of the road that few take and pull you back onto the road that everyone takes. Because Jesus has been speaking about this new way of living in preparation for the coming of the kingdom of God. And he's been talking about things like loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you. And so what's happening right now in the world where Jesus is speaking, the world as it's known at this time is under Roman rule. And Rome had one plan and one plan alone as how to continue to keep control over the known world at the time, and that was through violence and violence. That was Rome's plan. Like, we have no plan B for our picnic next week because we are just believing that it's going to be beautiful and sunny. Rome has no plan B on how it's to contain control of the world. It's violence and violence, and at the center of this violence and animosity and hatred are the people of Israel. Again, And as Jesus is spelling out this new and controversial and countercultural way of living, what's happening is that religious zealots and radicals are using the Torah, they're using the Jewish law, and they're pulling and picking apart pieces of what's been written down, and they're using it inappropriately to, to sway people back onto where their road is. And so Jesus is saying, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And these people are using the word of God at that time saying, no, 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 no. Don't listen to what Jesus is saying because what Jesus is saying is unrealistic. What Jesus is saying is too idealistic. What you need to do is you need to pick up a sword and you need to take back what's yours and you need to kill, maul, and slaughter to get to your way. And, and man, honestly, like this has been just weighing on me all week. But man, as I look at where we are in our culture right now. 
I mean, we have, we, we, we spoke on this, but I think, man, if we honestly, I have been studying this all week, not even for this message, but just for my own sanity. I think we need to go back and look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 40. And I just think, I just want to encourage you on your own time. Man, dive into those 10 verses. And, and, and as I've been just looking at the world, and my heart has just been so heavy and so weighed down. Like I said last week, man, as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, we're not doormats to issues of injustice. We're not doormats to issues that God has called us to be advocates for. As Christians, we're called to be the greatest advocates of the oppressed and the downtrodden and the hurting and those who feel hopeless. But because the message of the gospel and the message of grace that the gospel contains is so great. Yes, we advocate for those who are being oppressed, but we must also remember to advocate for those who are doing the oppressing. We are called to advocate and lock arms with those who are being oppressed, but here's the deal. If the gospel's only good news for them, it's not good news at all. Because if we're praying only for one side, what we're saying to the other side is go to hell. And if the message and the good news of the gospel is good news for all people, then it's good news for all people no matter what line they fall on. Now, here's the deal. This is not fun. This is not popular. Or is it a successful way to grow a church? Trust me. But, isn't this what Jesus is saying? To love your enemies Think about that word love. Think about everything that it encompasses. Think about what Jesus gave for you and for me. That's the type of love that Jesus is saying, hey, extend that to your and pray for those who persecute. There is nothing harder than having to pray for your enemies. I would rather hate them. And I've been spending so much time in prayer and just God has just been, and, and, and I get to this point in my prayers where I, I am, I'm, having a, I'm having a hard time praying for the oppressors. Because if you haven't noticed, I'm white. I don't know what it's like to be oppressed. I am a white, 34-year-old, middle-class man. In the grand scheme of life, my life is the easiest. I don't have one. I've lost Facebook friends, and I think I'm being persecuted. I know nothing of oppression. I know nothing and I find myself praying and not knowing how to pray and finding myself like just battling kind of this internal monologue of not knowing what it means. And then, and then all of a sudden, I, 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 I'm like, well, are my prayers even, you just have those moments where you just feel like you're just praying to a wall? Just me? All right, just me. And sometimes I like will feel like I'm just staring at a wall. I'm just talking to it. And as I'm praying, 
for oppressors, not knowing what it's like to be oppressed, what God does in a moment. As he puts the faces, my cousins Nate, Christina, are both black, and their children. And all of a sudden, everything on the inside of me begins to hate the people who are oppressing them. And I've lost all focus on loving my enemy. I've lost all focus. And I find myself justified in my hate because I'm trying to, because my hate proves a point, right? My hate for someone else proves a point. And then what God says to me, which is so annoying because he does it so often, and I'm just going to put the question that God asked me up uh, on the screen, and God asked me this. I put it in first person. It's, it's you, but whatever. If I hate those who hate other people for hating other people, aren't I living in the same hate I'm hating in the first place? So what the Holy Spirit asked me is, Steve, if you're hating those who hate other people for hating other people, aren't you living in the same hate that you hate in the first place? And what God does is he uses my nemesis, math, to basically spell out an equation for me, and it's this. And we can do this day in and day out for every day of our lives. And at the end of it, we will look back and see that we have lived life on the wide road. We will learn that we've listened to voices who have distracted us from this narrow road way of living, which is difficult, which is hard, which is misunderstood, which is not popular. And we will get distracted from the narrow road by those who are saying that Jesus' way of living is too idealistic and it's unrealistic. But here's the thing I know. For those who hate people of other colors... And for those who hate the people, who hate people from other who hate people from other cultures and of other colors, and I'm still believing that the grace of Jesus is enough not to simply change their minds, but change their hearts. Here's the deal: if we are so busy in the process of hating other people, we are going to hate heaven because heaven exists for broken people who have found Christ and have received what the scriptures say is their reward. There are going to be people, and I really believe this, who I am so in the habit of hating. I don't know their story. I don't know what God's got planned for them. But I would hate to show up to heaven and see people who I have hated and not trusted that God in the process of their life story could save them. So let me ask you something this morning. Who are you listening to? And what are you listening to? Are you hearing and becoming more like Jesus? 
Is there a cost to where you're walking to? Because let's not be mistaken, walking the narrow road will cost us all something. For some of us, it's going to cost us everything. It could cost you your life. It could cost you your well-being. It could cost you everything. Now, why would Jesus call us to something like that? Because it's what the road that Jesus walked on, because this road cost Jesus everything. Walking the narrow road will cost you something. What we listen to and who we listen to matters. It makes a difference in our lives. And here's what I know. If you're listening to me this morning more than you're listening to Jesus throughout the week, stop listening to me. Stop listening to me and engage with God on a personal level. He makes himself available for each and every one of us to communicate, to have a relationship with him. And so often, and here's the deal, I got an ego like everybody else, and I love when people say, well, my pastor said this, and my pastor said that, and Steve said this, and Steve said the blah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. Honestly, I don't say much real quality stuff, but here's what I know. At a certain point, it's got to be not about what did Steve say, but what is Jesus saying to me? The Holy Spirit will guide. He will direct your lives. And I've said this before again and again, but honestly, I am just a dude trying to figure life out. I am going to fail, and I am going to fall short, but I promise you I will strive every Sunday to bring you the truth of God's Word accurately and effectively, but you have to get into this thing for yourself. You have to get into this game for yourself, because if all you're doing is listening to other people, who knows what they're saying? Who knows what, if what they're saying is accurate? Who knows if what I'm saying is accurate? I could be lying to you for three years. I'm not. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. <laughs> that was like a perfectly timed laugh, bro. <laughs> but, um, but honestly, if we don't engage with God on a personal level and allow the words of God and the words of Jesus and the words of the Holy Spirit to speak into your life, how do you know if I'm telling you the truth? Jesus is saying, man, beware of people, of these false prophets, of these false teachers, because what they're going to do is they're going to say things that sound really, really good. And they're going to sound really, really like God. But what 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says, we're not going to put it up on the screen, but what it says is actually those people who sound like God, who look good, but are misusing what God's saying. Those people actually have the spirit of the Antichrist in them. Because what can happen, and what has happened, and what I have seen happen, over and over and over again, is when we don't engage with God personally, we can be led away by things that sound good and sound like God. Verses 17 through 18 says this in Matthew. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So just like Jesus tells us, 
that this life on the narrow road is a difficult one, but it's a life that produces a type of fruit. Let me ask you another question this morning. What fruit is your life producing? You guys were talking about this during discussion time. The question of what are you known for? Or what do you want to be known for? Versus what are you known for? If I could summarize those two questions, what fruit is your life producing? Is your life producing fruit that comes from this world, that comes from seeking vengeance, that comes from seeking revenge of getting what you can out of whomever you can? Is the fruit of your life producing that, or is the fruit of your life produce is the life is your life, sorry, producing the type of fruit that comes from knowing, loving, and serving Christ? And if you're asking yourself this question because it's a question that I have asked myself so many times, how do I know if my life is producing fruit that comes from knowing, loving, and serving Christ? And it's amazing what Jesus says because he spells it out. Here's the deal. If you, if your life is producing the fruit that comes from knowing, loving, and serving Christ, these are your identifiers. Humility, generosity, peacemaking, not being judgmental, keeping your word, not seeking revenge, loving your enemy, turning the other cheek, and caring for the poor. These are just some of the things that Jesus addresses in his sermon because this is the kind of fruit that is produced on the narrow, difficult, painful road. But isn't it true that the harder you strive for something, the greater the reward when you receive it? Someday, my house will be that reward. And I will look back on the day before I die, because Jen has so many projects. I will look back at my house and say, it was worth it, and then I guarantee you I'm going to flatline the second half of that. But these are the kind of fruits that are produced on the narrow road. The, and, and what the scripture says, the road that follows Jesus and ultimately the road that leads to life. And then Jesus says at the end of this section in verse 20, he says this. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. What Jesus is saying about false prophets these false teachers, these false followers of Christ is that their actions will always reveal what's in their hearts. I think another way of putting it for us today is this. Our conduct reveals our character. Our conduct reveals our character. Now here's the deal. I know this is heavy. And if this is your first time, welcome to Motion City. It gets better. But I understand how heavy this is. And I think, because we planned this series in February, that we were going to commit all summer to the Sermon on the Mount. We We decided back in February, and it's almost as if God knew where we would be now in culture as well as in the scriptures. It's almost like he's in control of stuff. But right now, here's what I know. I know that the stakes have never been higher. 
I know that the pain has never been more real. I know that the brokenness has never been more evident and the need has never been greater for the followers of Jesus to live their lives out loud and make the love and grace and hope of Jesus known. So as my basketball coach used to say, it's time to poop or get off the pot, people. It's time to get in the game. It's time to take the plunge. It's time to fill in the blank with whatever thing you've heard your entire lives. But it's time that we, that you and me as the people of God, be known for, not for what we know, because you can have knowledge without wisdom. It's time to be known not for what we know, but for who we've walked with and who we know. It's time that we become identified as the ones who have walked with, talked with, spent time, and trusted and loved Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us warnings. I'm so grateful, God, that you love us enough to tell us to watch out. I I thank you that you love us enough to say, beware of the things, like your scripture says, that's so easy, the sin that so easily entangles. God, it's your warning to us that proves your love for us. And so, God, as we have sat on a heavy topic today, Father, my my prayer is that it would birth in our hearts an awareness. An awareness of, one, that you are a God who desires to know us personally and who desires for us, and your desire for us is that we would know you personally, so you give us your word. I'm so grateful for that. But I got also, number two, that it wouldn't simply just stay words, but it would become life. God, what a time to be alive. What a time in history to make known the goodness and grace of Jesus. What a time to turn the things that we feel on their ear and engage the narrow road. God, help us. Help us. Help us. When people look at our lives, may we be identified by the fact that we have known and walked and loved and served you. Help us, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.